Hi, I'm glad you're here. And uh, I just want to, we're here, we're starting off with Breshis again. So, awesome. And you know, we're never just going from the end back into the beginning. It's you're jumping up a level. So it's a whole new cycle of understanding, a deeper level of understanding. And, and imagine just everything that God has in store for us, just in terms of new insights and just new experiences and everything like that. You know, it says that, um, I think it's on the third day, you can double check that, but, but God planted all the vegetation and, and our senses is that, that when the, God was making the Garden of Eden, that all those things had sprouted already. And that when Adam and Eve, Adam and Chava, or let's start with Adam because this is really applying to him. This is before Chava was created, before Eve was created. Adam is there. And uh, we imagine that the Garden of Eden was its, at its most lush because it had just been created. But if you actually... Look at the Rashi there, and it's from the Gomorrah. The, these things hadn't sprouted yet. It was waiting for Adam to, God was waiting for Adam to pray for the mist, for the rain, and then all this vegetation sprouted. So, so in other words, our rabbis teach that even though it, in the earlier account, of creation, like, you know, a few verses ago, it had said that God had created vegetation, that the reality is is that it was created, but it was just under the ground, waiting to emerge, waiting for Adam to pray for it, and then it came out of the ground. So that's very much where we are in terms of the year. All of our prayers and everything like that, God has answered so many of our prayers. Things in the most surprising ways. Things that we can't even imagine. And they're all waiting just underground. And they're waiting to emerge and pop up over the coming months. So, so that's, that's really something to look forward to. And one of those things, of course, is just all this growth in Torah. And uh, deeply understanding the world and ourselves and God and just the whole nature of reality. All that, all that stands before us. So, with that in mind, I want to touch on some, some aspects of creation and uh, just where we are in terms of the year. And uh, I want to talk about rain. And, but first, before I get into all that, I, I just want to make, just say something personal. Which is that, you know, it's existence is such a delicate balance. Being in a state of harmony, being in a state of, I want to say correctness, not in a judgmental way, but in a, in a, in a, in a real way. It, it's such a, it, one has to be so finely tuned. Uh, let me be more specific. We were talking about it, um, we were talking about it at the time of Sukkot, which is really the time of ultimate harmony and integration, where we really understand that our soul is the primary aspect of our being. And that the body is there to just assist the soul. And I mentioned something that I've sort of been thinking about all week, which is just, it just it's, it's kind of a way out thought, that just our face is there, our mouth is there, just so our soul can speak. 
You know, just our whole body is there just so our soul can express itself in the world. And that is the proper balance. That is to be in a, in a, in a correct state, to understand you are your soul and your body is there just to assist your soul's, your, your, your soul's needs. Now what happens is, as we get into the year, the body begins to assert itself more and more. Because one of the incredibly healing, blessed things about all the holidays is, is that it's just building up the soul, it's building up the soul, it's building up the soul. Every single holiday is a holiday of the soul. And the soul rejoices and it exalts. You know, I, I, I mentioned regarding Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, the new year, the whole avoda, the whole spiritual work is to make Hashem king. So if you believe in God and you know that God runs the world, it's not such a big deal to say God is king. But God puts a piece of Himself inside of each one of us. That's our souls. And for us to look at that aspect of ourself and say, that should be king over me, that's much harder. Right? Especially now that the holidays are now behind us, and we don't have these things that build up the soul so much anymore. And now what happens is the body begins to slowly reassert itself. And the body says, wait a second, you're in charge? Or am I in charge? Which one is it again? Refresh my memory? Because I'm pretty sure I'm in charge. Wait, you're in charge? I don't know. Because I'm not getting out of bed. <laughs> oh yeah? Oh really? It's time? It's time for Minion? Yeah. Mm, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so, you know, all of a sudden, we're, we're, we're back in it. Now, now, here comes the personal part. Without going into too much detail here, I'll just uh, expose myself. Which is, I was thinking, you know, I was thinking about something in particular. And I was thinking, you know what, I want that. And I was thinking, yeah, I do. I want that. Yes, I do. And I started thinking about it more and more and thinking, yep, yes, I do. Yes, I do want that. And, uh, it wasn't really such a soul thing at all. Maybe nothing so terrible, really, but it was definitely not coming from a place of soul. And, and I remembered something that Reb Shlomo said about Yom Kippur. And Reb Shlomo said that, you see, you have to understand something. The cleansing of Yom Kippur the forgiveness that we receive on Yom Kippur is so deep, it's not just God is forgiving what I did wrong. I'm reaching the level where I realized I never wanted it to begin with. I never wanted to do that to begin with. Do you hear how much deeper that is? That's how connected I am with God. What? It's not, how could I have done that, or anything like that. I, I never wanted... Or rather, it's not that I'm sorry I did that. It's also I'm sorry I did that. But it's, but it's a deeper thing. It's I never wanted it to begin with. Now listen to this. Because I'm talking about where we are in the year right now. The holidays are behind us. The body is building itself up again. Right? 
You see, when I, when I kept on thinking about that thing I wanted, all of a sudden it hit me. Wait a second, I, I actually don't want that at all. Here I had sort of started to kind of get involved in this thought, and I was like, wait a second, I don't want that at all. And, and here's the point. Here's what I've been building to. And it's important that we keep this in mind, okay? Because this is a very, I think this is a very key teaching in general, but especially this time of year when the body wants to retake the soul, okay? It says in the Gemara that there's seven names for the Sahara, and that the most insidious, the most toxic, the most evil name, right? The most evil aspect of the negative inclination is this name called Safon, which means hidden. Okay? Now, Rabbi Moshe Shapiro Shlita explained it in the following way. What does it mean this most, that the most, that the worst part of our Yetzirah is, the, the worst part of our evil inclination means hidden. What it means is, is that there's an aspect of the Yetzirah which is so... I don't even know what the word is. So sneaky. I'm sure there's a, many better words than sneaky here. But anyway, it's so sneaky that it uses our own voice. Meaning to say that when this aspect of the Yetzirah expresses itself in our consciousness, we think it's us talking. It impersonates us. And it says, I want X. I want Y. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I hate that person. I da-da-da. Whatever it is. And because it's using... I, we think it's us talking. And since it's saying, I want, it's, it's a complete forgery. There's, there's like this, it's like, um, well, the word will come to me, but it, it impersonates us. It's like identity theft. That's what it is. It's identity theft. And we, we think, well, since this voice in our head is sort of like expressing all of these things and it's using the word I, I guess this is me talking. I guess I want these things. I guess I feel these ways. And it's, and it's not that. It's the Yetzirah talking. And so all of a sudden, it's sort of like I went into this sort of like revelry about X. And then I realized like what Rip Shlomo was talking about on the level of Yom Kippur. It's not that I regret doing it. I never wanted it to begin with. Because on Yom Kippur, we, re- we, we reach this level of oneness, like some, someone once pointed out the word atonement, because in English, a lot of times, they, they translate Yom Kippur as the day of atonement. But if you look at the word atonement, it, it's at one meant, right? Like, in other words, it's, it's the day of oneness, Right? So, so you so reach a state of oneness with God that this I that you thought is you, you realize that was never me. I never wanted these things to begin with. It was never speaking on my behalf. I got conned. 
I got conned. So, please, I'm begging you, I'm begging you, when you, when you experience a desire that you understand is beneath you, whatever it is, ask yourself, is that really me talking? Or is that the Sahara impersonating me? Is this, an, is this another example of identity theft? Because this happens all of the time. It's a very common thing. All of the time. So that's, that's number one. As we go into the year, please, don't be fooled by this, by, by, by its biggest trick. Okay, that, that's, that's number one. Um, I mentioned that, that I want to talk about rain. But you know something, before we get to rain... I want to I want to say something else, which is, which is we've got this incredible. We're just beginning Brachis right now, and there's this far out minig, like this custom, that we do when we do Hagba. Hagba is um, after we read the Torah, um, we we pick up the Torah. And we open up at least three columns. You're supposed to do three columns. And if you really want to do it right, you have to have the seam in the middle and three columns. That's, that's the best way to do it. Some people like to showboat a little bit. And they'll show you more and more columns. I don't really recommend that, even though it's wonderful looking when you see it. It's dangerous because a person could end up dropping the Torah, God forbid, and then you'd have to fast and all the rest. It's, it's, it's not recommended. Um, so you do three columns with the seam in the middle. That's the, and when you roll it up, you try to have the seam in the middle when you roll it up. So that's, that's the proper way to do it. Anyway, but the, the bigger point is, after we read the Torah, we lift it up and the whole congregation can see the Torah and you can see what we read. And it's, it's a beautiful moment. Okay. So, so what, do we do? what do we do when we finish the Torah and when we begin the Torah? So, you know... Lifting the Torah is, you know, some Torah scrolls are heavier than other Torah scrolls. Some are small. And I've seen, we have someone in the minion that I dominate in the morning. That usually you give this, this um, honor, Hagba, it's called, of lifting up the Torah. You find the tallest, strongest guy in the congregation and you give him Hagba. Right? Because it just always makes you nervous when a little guy steps up to do Hagba and you're like, oh God, please don't let him drop the Torah, you know. That's horrible, you know. And um, anyway, we have in our, in this congregation I go to, it's a very, very small minion, a 95-year-old man does Hagba because the Torah scroll is so little <laughs> that even he can do Hagba. It's like amazing. It's an amazing thing to see a 95-year-old man do it. But anyway, that aside, that aside, you've got small Torah scrolls, and then you've got really big Torah scrolls that, I mean, you really got to be very, yeah, you got to be muscly to pick these things up, you know? So, um, and there's, there's tricks to do it. All right, I'll just tell you one trick, the main trick, which is that you take the Torah scroll, you know, you grasp it in both hands, one pole in each hand, and then you slide it halfway off the bima. And then you push down, because then you have leverage. And then it goes up very easily. 
So that's, that's the trick. Okay? If you know that, you can pretty much lift up any heavy Torah scroll. Okay. Anyway. But here's the thing. Dur- during different times of the year, it's of different levels of difficulty to do Hagbah. Because sometimes it's all, all, the entire scroll is on the right-hand side. Sometimes the entire scroll is on the left-hand side. When you get to the intermediate books, then it's about 50-50. So sometimes you want to bring in, it's like, you know, it's like you're a manager in a baseball game. All right, bring in the lefty. You know, no, 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 bring in the righty. You know, different times of the year, you've got to know who to call up to do it. <clears throat> anyway, so, so now, as though it's not difficult enough, what you do, here's the special minute. This is a special custom among the Jewish people, which is that when you finish the Torah and when you begin the Torah, you don't just lift it up. You put your right hand on the, on the right side and your left hand on the left side. What you do is you reverse your hands so that you put your right hand on the left hand pole and your left hand on the right hand pole. Alright? And then you pick it up and you turn it around and you it's now, the Torah scroll is now facing backwards. Right? In other words, well, hopefully you can imagine that. The blank side is to you now, whereas normally the printed side would be to you. Now that's really, that's advanced hogbanomics. You know, that's like really, you gotta, you gotta really know what you're doing if you're gonna do that, okay? So we have in our shul an expert Hagba guy. He's a rabbi. He's wiry and strong. And this guy, he's like a nine-column guy. He's one of these guys who will just, just roll it all the way up. And you have perfect confidence whenever he shows up there that he's going to pull it off. He's amazing. So, so they asked me to do the lifting of the Torah. Right? And... Like when it was at uh, when it was at Breshis. In other words, we had just read the very first section. The entire Torah scroll is on the left-hand side. I'm a righty, so that's already tricky. And then you got to do this twisting thing with your hands. And I was like, all right, well, I don't know how to do that. I'm not going to do that. But, you know, I'm very honored to be able to lift up the Torah for Breshis. And then this rabbi stepped up and he said, I know how to do it with the twisting hands. And I was like, please, you do it. He's like, well, no, you already got called up. I don't want to take away this honor from you. And I'm like, I'd rather see it done properly than for me to do it and to do it without this special custom. So he did it and he did it fantastically well and it was great. So anyway, God gave me a gift, which is that I didn't get to do that, but I got a teaching came to me based on what's going on. So I want to give an explanation of why you're crossing your hands and everything like this, okay? So all of this is really just coming to tell you the following. <laughs> so, first, let's understand what Hagba is, okay? So in the beginning... This is my analysis, but in the beginning of Baba Metziah, the Gomorrah, they talk about um, what happens when two people see an object in the street. 
Right? Like young children, this is the first Mishnah that they learn. Okay? So, one says it's mine, the other says it's mine. And how do you settle a, a dispute like this? Well, you know, like we have in English, that possession is nine-tenths of the law. So this is actually, you know, there's a Torah concept that sort of overlaps with this, that, that if someone picks it up first, if they actually have possession of it, that that's considered meaningful, in, in, legally. So that picking up of an object, and, 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 and by picking it up, gaining possession of it, in the Gomorrah is called Hagba. So, with that in mind, I want to apply it to what Hagba means in general. In other words, we finish reading the Torah, and then after we finish reading the Torah, we do Hagba. We lift it up and we take possession of that which we've learned. In other words, it's not just, hey, look what we just did. Everyone look, I'm raising it up. Everyone, that's the columns that we just read. It's more than that. Hagba is actually a legal term meaning I've taken possession of this knowledge. I'm going to live it. I'm going to own what I've just learned. See, much deeper than that. Okay. Now listen to this. I'm going to put some thoughts together. And then we'll try to explain the crossing of the hands and everything like this. So, the Kutzkarebi asks a great question. He says, what is it that we're celebrating on Simchas Torah? So, the average person would answer, well, on Simchas Torah, that's the day that we're finishing the Torah, we're getting to the end of the Torah. We're finishing the Torah, that's what we're celebrating. So, the Kutzkarebi says something much, much deeper. He says, no. He says, no, we're not celebrating finishing the Torah. We're celebrating the fact that we've gotten to the end of the Torah and we realize that we still don't know anything. (laughs) That we still haven't exhausted the wealth of Torah knowledge. That we're not finished. We're not celebrating that we're finished. We're celebrating that we've gotten to the end and that we're not finished. Because the Torah is infinite. The Torah is the infinite compressed into the finite. That's the celebration that God has given us such a treasure that we'll never exhaust it in a thousand lifetimes. We'll never exhaust the Torah. Even as we get to the end of it. That's what we're celebrating. The infinity of the Torah. Okay. So, with that in mind, with that in mind, the Ramban points out in the beginning of, it's, his, it's in his introduction to uh, the Chumash, to the five books. And he says that the Torah is black fire written on white fire. Okay? So, so black fire, those are the letters. That represents that which is revealed. And white fire, that, that's the aspect of the infinite. You know, we're, we're, we're never going to understand it. In other, words, in other words, you have to understand, when you look at a Torah scroll, don't think for a moment that the, it's, it's one organic whole. Don't think for a moment that it's just what's written on the scroll, and that's what the Torah is. It's white, it's black fire on white fire. It's that which is revealed against the backdrop of the infinite. That's what it is. Okay? 
So now, now we said that we've got this special custom. And the special custom is that, normally speaking, when I do Hagba, I've got the three columns on the table in front of me, right, with the two scrolls, and then I pick it up in an ordinary way, and then if I look up, I can read, I can see the columns that we just read, and I can read them, because they're right in front of my face, right? But now we've got this special custom. I put my right hand on the left pole, and I put my left hand on the right pole. Now let me ask you something. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. <laughs> Blessing of Yaakov. Yeah. Totally, right? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. So, so, so you guys got it right away? I'm glad. So we'll just flesh it out. When, when Yaakov Avinu, when Jacob gives the blessing to Yosef, to Joseph's children, Ephraim and Menashe, Yosef has positioned the eldest by Jacob's right hand and the youngest by Jacob's left hand, because right is considered the, you know, the more honored side, and that should, that privilege should go to the eldest. And all of a sudden, Yaakov pulls like this fast one. He does this amazing thing. He takes his right hand and he puts it on Ephraim's hand, exactly like you make Hagba at the end and at the beginning. Right? Yaakov puts his right hand on Ephraim's head and his left hand on, on Menashe's head. And Yosef says, corrects his father, like he like, tries to switch his hands. He's like, what are you doing? Right? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? It's so deep. It's so deep. It's so deep. Because, you know, if I'm just putting myself in Yosef's shoes right now. You see, we have this whole problem with, with favoritism. Where, Jay, where, where Yaakov makes... Yosef, his favorite, and he gives him the coat, right? The coat of many colors and everything like that. Even though technically he's, he's not the firstborn. Reuven is the firstborn, right? Now you could say, well, he was the firstborn to Rachel, to Rachel. And there's something to that. But in terms of strict Torah law, whoever's born first chronologically, that's the one who's really the firstborn, you know? So it seems like, and this is just me talking, it seems like on some level, you know, after all the drama and just all the horribleness in terms of the family being fractured and broken and everything like that, and now we've finally gotten to the point where all the brothers are reconciled and everything's together. You know, Joseph wants to make sure that sort of like order is restored. Put your right hand on the firstborn. Let's like get things in a good place right now, right? And all of a sudden, Jacob is taking his right hand and he's putting it on the youngest's head. It's like, what are you doing? Joseph's like, what are you doing? And Jacob says, he says, no, I see prophetically that from Ephraim, the youngest, Yehoshua, Yehoshua, who's going to be the Joshua, who's going to be the successor to Moses, 
and who leads the children into Israel, conquering of Israel, right? Because Moshe doesn't conquer Israel. Moshe doesn't get into Israel. But Joshua does get into Israel, and Joshua does kind of like complete God's promise that we're, he's going to bring us into Israel. He says, I see that Joshua is going to come out of Ephraim, so, so he gets my right hand. But what you have here, and again, we do this when we finish the Torah, and we do this switching of the right hand and the left hand when you, when you pick up the Torah for Breshis also. Okay? Only those two times in the whole year. Only those two times. Yeah, good point. Good point. I think, that's, I, I think so. Yeah, we can double check that, but I think that's just for Simchus Torah. At the actual moment when the rotation is made. Okay, so we're still getting to the point. I mean, we're making points along the way, but we're still getting to what I really want to say. So, so what we have here is, what we have here on, on one level, in terms of connecting it to Yaakov, is an upsetting of the chronology. Right? And we know... We know Rashi brings it, and most of the Torah sages bring this. The Ramban is the exception. But they say that the Torah is not in order. The Torah is not written chronologically. And, uh, you know, I once wanted to say that, you know, you know, all of us are Torahs. Each one of us is like a Torah. And you see it in a lot of different ways. And I mean an actual Torah. First of all, we're composed of 613 parts, the rabbis say. And it's actually even more. It's divided up into 248 and 365, just like the positive and negative commands of the Torah. So our limbs and sinews and muscles fall into these categories of 248 and 365. So our whole bodies actually mirror the structure of the Torah and the ten spherot. So we're mini universes, we're mini Torahs. You see it in other ways also. Like for instance, um, it's a blessing for the husband of a pregnant woman to open up the ark and to take out the Torah. And it's a blessing for an easy childbirth. So, so that honor is always given to someone whose wife is sort of finishing up her pregnancy, is at the end of her pregnancy. And, um, and so what's, what, what's the connection? The connection is that the baby is like a Torah scroll, and you're opening up the ark, and you're taking out the Torah, and just like that goes very easily, so the birth should go very easily. But the parallel is very direct, that a person is a Torah scroll. Right? So, so, each one of us is a Torah scroll. And what we've learned is that the Torah is written out of order. It's not chronological. Which means on a very, very, very deep level. Why is life so confusing? Because I think on a very, very deep level we're not always necessarily living our lives chronologically. 
Like all of a sudden, hey, why is this happening? This shouldn't be happening right now. How does this follow from the previous moment? All of a sudden, everything was calm. Now everything is crazy. Every one of us can relate to that, right? Everything was totally normal a second ago. Now all of a sudden, the phone rings and now everything is crazy. Well, sometimes in our life, we're addressing things that happened in previous lifetimes. We're making tikkunim, we're making fixings for previous incarnations. And now all of a sudden, it's like, now at this moment, I'm correcting something that happened a lifetime ago. Or I'm being given the opportunity to correct something that happened a lifetime ago. That means my life is completely, completely out of order. Or, as or maybe more far out, the idea that sometimes God puts certain things in our life in order to prepare for something that's going to happen years from now, or maybe something that's even going to happen in our children or grandchildren's lives. You know, did you ever hear someone say, you know something, you have schus avos. That means you have the merit of your forefathers. That means some of the merit, some of the good deeds that your father or grandfather or mother or grandmother, whatever it is, did, you're, you got saved at this moment or you got blessed at this moment because of something that they did who knows how long ago. That's a real concept in Torah. Which means it could be that all of a sudden God gives you this big thing to do out of nowhere, right? Not even for your life but for the benefit of your children or your grandchildren. And that the merit for that's not going to come down for, who knows, 25, 50, 100 years. So you try to make sense. How did that just happen? And then sometimes you ask yourself the question, I just did this enormous thing, where's my reward? <laughs> well, first of all, our reward is save up for the next world. But sometimes, if, if can you imagine? Like I heard Rabbi Krohn make this point. Can you imagine if you say if to someone who's complaining, I did this big thing, where's my reward? If, if God said to you, well, wait a second, how would you like your grandchild's life to be saved from a car accident? God forbid we should know from these things, right? You would say, oh my, I could somehow save my grandchild's life? Yeah, yeah. Well, would you delay the reward for this thing that you just did? To save your grandchild's life? Or your child's life? Or maybe your own life later on? 100%? Without even a shred or an iota of bitterness or regret or remorse? Yes! Alright? So, what I'm, trying to, what I'm trying to demonstrate is that, is that the Torah is out of order. That's what our sages teach. That means that different passages in the Torah... Sometimes one comes before another. Like I'll give you a famous example. When the Torah is given in Parshish Yisro, the very beginning of Parshish Yisro is that Yisro, who was, you know, was known to have been an idol worshipper, and that he served all the idols in the world, and then came to the recognition that the God of the Jewish people, the Maker of heaven and earth, is the one true God. And this is, was his insight after having explored all the other religions of the world. And you see the greatness of Torah and the inclusiveness of Torah. 
that our greatest chapter in the entire Chumash, which is the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, is named after a convert. It's named after Yisrael. I mean, there, there can be no... I mean, there, there's no way to dispute the, the love and oneness there. You know, I'll tell you something. There was something beautiful on Simchus Torah. It's really a beautiful moment. There was uh, a black brother with dreadlocks, tall man, must have been in his, I would say, late 50s. And uh, how he showed up at the Happy Minion, I'm not exactly sure. How he found it, I don't know. And he was there for most of the night and he was dancing with the Torah and everything like that. Not sure. And then I was talking to him afterwards and I said to him, I asked him, I said, what did you think? And he said, I've never seen such love in my entire life. That's what he said. He said, I've never seen it. And I'm just telling you, just, you can look at this man's face and you can tell that this man has been around, that he's seen a lot of the world. It was a meaningful statement that he said. That was meaningful. Um, so, so Yisro comes to Mount Sinai. This is the beginning of this is the beginning of the chapter of the receiving of the Torah, and then the Torah is given a, a few chapters later, right? But within that parsha of Yisro, so Rashi points out very famously, and the majority of sages point out very famously that that's completely out of order. First, God gave the Torah at Mount Sinai, and then Yisro showed up. I just want you to be clear when I say that the Torah is not written chronologically, what I'm talking about. There's certain events and certain chapters that appear out of order. And I'm saying that our lives, that ourselves, we're Torah scrolls. We're made out of the ten spherot and the 613. We ourselves are Torah scrolls. And our lives are written not chronologically. Not only that, But I'm telling you that when Yaakov Avinu puts his hand, his right hand on the younger son's head, he's communicating to us that it's not chronological. We get to the end of the Torah. He's saying it's not chronological. Okay, now I want to make the point. Here's really the point, okay? You put your right hand over your left hand, right? You lift up the Torah. Now, Normally speaking, what did we say? When you, when you lift up the Torah, you can see the columns of, of letters right in front of you, right? But when you turn it around, what do you see? White fire. White fire. It's just white fire. Because you're looking at the back of the Torah scroll. You get to the end of the Torah... You get to the end of the Torah and it's just, it's the infinity of God. And that's so deep on so many different levels. And let's just make the point on the other side and then we'll go into it, okay? Breshis, when you're talking about the beginning of creation, right? The letter Bet. The letter Bet is, is like, it's open on, it's open on one side, right? But then you've got a wall. You've got a wall. You can't go back any further. You can enter into the bet, but then you hit a wall. And the rabbis teach that's because we can't know what happened before the creation of the universe. We don't know what happened. You hit a wall at a certain point. 
So when you lift up the beginning of the Torah and you hold it up, you're also just looking at the back of the Torah because you're doing the arms cross thing. And you're just looking at the back of the Torah. And it's just white fire. In other words, you don't know. It's just the infinity of God. What preceded this world? The infinity of God. And on some level, the Torah is a microcosm of the history of the entire world. The last word of the Torah is Israel, Yisrael. That's the last word of the Torah. It says God created the world for the sake of Israel. What does that mean? For the revelation of the oneness of God through the Torah, which the Jewish people are teaching the entire world. And what's the destiny of the world? On a Kabbalistic level, ultimately, the material becomes spiritualized and more and more and more spiritualized until it disappears back into God. So if you want to talk about the Torah as a history of the world, then you get to the end of the reading of the Torah, you pick it up, you hold it up, and what's there? White fire! Because the world disappears back into the infinity of God. And if you want to know the origins of the universe, white fire! The world came out of the infinity of God. The one true God, the God of Israel, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who gave us the Torah, the God of all people, all of us are his children. That's what I told that guy, by the way, when he told me. He said, I never saw such love. And I told him, I said, you know, we have this thing called gematria. <laughs> and it's another way of, another level of understanding the Torah, that the Torah is infinite and it's working on every level, including mathematical. And that the word for love in Hebrew is also the same number for one. Right? Ava and Achad, they're both 13. I said, God, it's one love, you know? And I said, God loves all of his creatures. All of us. We all have a share in the Torah. All of us have a share in the Torah. You know, maybe, maybe we'll stop there. Um, let's just, uh, just sort of remind you of one last point. Try to, try to remember, you are your soul. And don't be victim, don't be the victim of identity theft. When you hear, I want this, ask yourself, is that me speaking? Is that really me speaking? Or am I being tried to, am I trying to be conned into wanting something that I really don't even want? Okay. Should be a great, 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 great year. Yeah.